Welcome back, guys. I, I missed you so much. I feel like I've been gone forever, and it has been miserable. It's not like lonely when you guys aren't here, but it's not great. Um, I've got to start off by asking the question you ask at the beginning of every, every semester, you know, kind of out of insecurity, honestly. Um, is there anybody, is there even one person here who is here because they got a flyer? Please, can somebody, absolutely, there we go. Okay, that, that, <laughs> that means the world to us as we are out there freezing, getting laughed at and wondering why in the world are we doing this? And I also want to tell you that this $15 parking ticket I got because I was flyering is all yours, man. You can pay the 15 bucks if you want. Come pick it up later. Uh, my name's Ryan Hamby, guys. I get to just come to Salt every week, lead this thing, and preach the gospel to you guys. Uh, if you're new here, if somebody brought you, we are so happy that you're here. Uh, what you're seeing with the band and me coming up here with the Bible, get used to it. This, this is what we do every single week, uh, week in, week out, every single year. We try and keep it as simple as possible. We try to, you know, strip everything down, not trying to, trying to be too creative, but we just want to get up here. We want to sing really, really loud, and we want to open up the Word of God and hear what He would have to say to us. Because honestly, if you're just here to, you know, like hear some good singers perform or hear some creative things I have to say, you are completely wasting your time, and you probably shouldn't come back here, but I will tell you that God seems to show up in this place when we open his word and lives are changed forever. And so if this is your first time, especially welcome, please keep coming back. Please keep hearing from the Lord. And I hope you have a great time. Okay, my first question for you guys tonight is this though, as we jump into this new semester. Um, is anybody here like a crier in movies in particular? Not just like a crier like in general, but like a crier in movies. <laughs> Me neither. Um, but... <laughs> Mm, me neither, but uh, this is how my Christmas break went. Uh, I moved, okay? Uh, and a lot of you guys move every year, you don't really care, but I am 26, and so that I'm an adult. And what that means is I bought a home. Uh, that's a really big deal. Well, it is exciting. I start paying my mortgage next month, and the illustrations will go kind of in the tank after that. I'll come up like bitter and angry and like, eh, never mind. Uh, but this is what happened. I, I was in a season of transition, and uh, I decided to watch a movie with my roommate, kind of like of a last hurrah. Uh, my, my roommate, Austin, uh, we decided to kind of have one more hurrah together, and we watched Lord of the Rings, okay? It was his first time watching it all. Okay, wow. What a crowd tonight. Good job. Uh, we're watching Lord of the Rings because he's never seen them, and I knew, mm, I try not to get choked up here right now. I knew what was going to happen because I've seen it a hundred times. I knew every line in the movie. And if you haven't seen it, and I'm about to spoil it, like Mikey hasn't seen it, I literally don't care that I'm rooting for you. That's on you, okay? You should have seen it by now. It came out when I was in like second grade. Um, we're getting to the end. I've just spent the last 10 hours of my life, maybe 11 or 12, watching this journey of these short little people who look a lot like me uh, <laughs> go from their peaceful home in the green hills of the Shire, and they take this evil, evil ring, the epitome of sin, and they go on a journey, and they drop it in that fiery lava 
and it's over. Sorry to ruin it for you, Mikey, but the ring gets destroyed. And I know what's coming. I'm celebrating. I'm happy. The last 10 hours of my life were not wasted yet again. And I feel like I have reclaimed my friendship with these characters. I feel like I have, you know, related with them, not to make a hobbit joke again, but I feel like I actually know them. I feel what they feel. And sure enough comes the last scene. They're at the harbor and a boat comes to take away Gandalf, to take away Bilbo. I know. And surprise, to take away Frodo, the hero of the story. And as Frodo turns around to the other hobbits and gives them a hug, they're all crying and the music's playing. And I'm just sitting there like, don't cry this time, man, don't cry. And Austin's over there, he's crying like a baby. And the movie ends and they sail off to the undying lands, the eternal shores of Valinor. And the movie's over. And me and Austin, my soon-to-be ex-roommate, don't say a word. We just sit there. And we're having a little sleepover in the living room, of course. And I don't know what got in me, but I decided to play some sad music. <laughs> and we're just laying there. Lights pretty dim, trying to fall asleep. And my eyes are just wide open. Not crying, but they're wet. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I hear Wonderwall come on. It's like, today is gonna be the day that they're gonna throw it back. And I'm just a mess. And I'm up all night. But I'm not a crier in movies, I promise. What in the world is it about these long movies, these long books? I know some of you've read like Harry Potter. It's like whatever, it takes like seven or eight books. Finish. Like you go on these long journeys with these characters and you feel like you're a part of it. Right? You connect so deeply that when they reach the end, their victory is your victory. Like when they reach uh, heaven in their land or whatever their place of peace is at the end of their story, you feel like you can finally breathe again and you can finally rest again because they can. What is it about movies and books and being drawn into people's stories that make us get so connected with them? What makes them bring you hope? What is it at the end of Lord of the Rings where I can feel, yes, a little bit of sadness, but this ultimate sense of optimism that, you know what, I can do it tomorrow, you know? Like, what is it about these? Well, this is where we're going to start this semester, guys. I want us to know that stories like this, these epic tales that, that draw us in and take us on a journey, it's actually touching something very, very real inside of you. It's not just stories, and you're not just over-emotional for caring about them, but it's actually touching something very real in us. And I want us to see that we too are on a journey. We're actually on a journey that will one day soon enough come to an end. And I don't want to just throw a big wet blanket on the night and be like, nice surprise, like our journey will come to an end on this earth. Like I hope that's not news to you tonight. But I want it to actually kind of have the opposite effect by the time we're done. Like I want you not to be frightened by seeing the finish line, by seeing the end of life, by seeing the end of your journey, I want you to feel bliss. I want you to feel hope and I want you to feel excitement and peace and joy. We're opening this semester with a series, as you can tell by yet another amazing graphic behind me, called The King's Country. And what this series is going to be about, guys, is looking forward to our eternal home as Christians. It's going to be 
a series where we actually open up the Bible and see what does God have to say about our dwelling with him? What does God have to say about heaven? The goal of this series is actually really quite simple, guys. It's that heaven would invade your life even now. Let me say that again, guys. I want heaven to invade your life, this place, tonight. That's why we're preaching on this stuff. The goal of the series is that, and I believe that heaven described in this Bible is so wonderful that it actually has to change your life. It actually changes every single part of you when you understand it better. I believe that what you imagine when you think of your eternity, when you go there in your mind, has to be rooted in truth. It can't be what you get from culture. It can't be what movies' ideas of heaven are, even if they're beautiful. It has to be rooted in truth. And when it is, guys, I promise you that your life will find, will find purpose, zeal, and the hope that you have been searching for your entire life. The reason you feel drawn and connected by epic stories like these guys is really simple. They stir your hope that you too one day would finally reach the end of pain, toil, strife, that you would enter into a place of peace and joy forever. As you see your favorite characters go through these journeys and reach the end with joy, the very fiber of your being twitches with anticipation to experience the very same thing. And here's what's so wild about this hope, guys. You can have it. As a Christian, you know this life, these like hundred years or so that you have, you know they're not the end, right? As a Christian, you know, in fact, that they're more like a dress rehearsal for the real thing. That this is like an echo or a shadow of a truer life that is actually yet to come. C.S. Lewis, actually, uh, this really famous author, Chronicles of Narnia, he, in his book, Mere Christianity, does a really cool job of explaining this this feeling and this desire. And this is what he says. I think it'll be on the screen for us. It says, I must keep alive in myself the desire for what? My true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and to help others to do the same. And so my question to you tonight, guys, is really quite simple. Do you long for your true country? If you call yourself a Christian, do you long? Do you know where you're going? And has that changed your life even now? How do you imagine heaven, hell, annihilation, whatever beliefs you're bringing in this room, like how do you imagine that to be? What feelings kind of arise in you? Like if you just go ask anybody in Iowa City, I thought about going and interviewing so I could make this point clear, but I feel like the main answer you would get is like, hey, what is heaven gonna be like? The Hawkeye response would be the same. It's like, in heaven there is no beer. That's why we drink it here. That, guys, that is such a low bar. That is pathetic. But that is actually what we think of our eternal dwelling place. That we actually think it would be such a killjoy that the greatest party is happening right now that we actually think the greatest thing in this life, we're actually gonna lose the things that we love and we want to do, we actually won't be able to do in heaven, so we're gonna do them here and now. And I'm telling you, if that is your view of heaven, you are in for a ride. Because through this series, you are gonna see how much more majestic and wonderful and fun heaven can be beyond your wildest imaginations. 
I hope that as you explore our potential paradise with us, this true country, that you are changed. I hope that as you fall in love with the king's country, our lives will transform. And this is where we're going to go tonight, guys. Before we talk about the specifics of heaven, right? Before we talk about like the mountain of God, like Mount Zion. Before we talk about the heavenly city and the throne room. And maybe the loved ones that we are so excited to be reunited with. And the singing and the worship and the the like the full spectrum of the world's nations and languages and cultures just being unified and the peace and the exploring of lands and the taste of the food. Before we do any of that, before we talk about the what of heaven, we need to be introduced to the who. Because if I offered you eternal life tonight, plain and simple, I said, would you have it? Do you want to go spend eternity in this place with me? I think you'd be allowed to ask some follow-up questions. Namely, who's going to be there? If I invite you to a party to my house, I'm like, hey, do you want to come on over? Well, I don't know. Who's going to be there? And the stakes are a lot higher than just a little get, like shindig at my house. This is eternity we're talking about. Are you going to a place where there is a dictator? Are you going to a place with an abusive ruler or an unkind father or a boring friend? No. I hope as we explore this and get to know this king's country that you will be enamored, that you'll be blown away, and that you will be excited to meet your king face to face. Nobody wants to spend eternity in a place that is boring and not worth their time, but I'm asking you, what if there was a king what if he was good? What if he was kind? And I don't mean kind like maybe we normally think of, right? I'm not talking about some fluffy niceness, okay? I'm going to try and distinguish here a really fine line between a fluffy niceness and the kindness of our God. I'm not talking about somebody who just wants to, you know, fill your belly and pat you on the head and put you to sleep all night so you're comfortable for the rest of eternity, I mean the type of kindness that you would actually need an eternity to exhaust. The, the type of kindness that you will never be able to reach the end of. That is new every single morning. You see, it's not ultimately the place and the things of heaven that make heaven heaven. <laughs> what makes heaven heaven is the king. What makes heaven great is not just eternal life. That's easy. That's not actually that hard to believe. Our souls bear witness with that. But what makes heaven so beautiful, so wonderful, and so worth even our lives now and our deaths is we have a fantastic, kind king waiting for us. That's what makes heaven heaven. And so our journey into this king's country starts here with the king, specifically his kindness. And I want to introduce him to you tonight. I hope that so many of you have never actually met him before and tonight is your first night. And I hope so many of you like me as I was just like reading over this before. It's like, I've met him and I know him and I talked to him today, but it still feels brand new. I hope all of us can share that experience together. So if you have a Bible, please open up to Ephesians 2. If you do not have a Bible, guys, this is so cool. Look at this. Got a new phone. Um, not showing you that. You can get on your app store. Look at that. A little blue A. Um, click on that and type in Bible. And there's a really cool Bible that I know a lot of you have. It's called U Version. Um, 
you can just read the Bible. Look at that. If you've never had one, we don't have a hard copy to give you. Just get on here. It's so cool. Okay, so tonight we're going to be reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version, uh, if you are on the app and you need kind of more guidance of how in the world to get there. And we're going to go to Ephesians, which is kind of near the end of your Bible, pretty close to the end. Uh, it's Paul let, writing a letter to this church. And what he's going to give us tonight, guys, is this wonderful chunk of Bible that perfectly describes our story in this earth colliding with the love of this king. It's going to lay a foundation and a pathway for how we get to this true country and who is the God who made that way possible. So I'm going to read Ephesians 2 verses 1 through 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It is as good as done, guys. And get this, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, guys. It is a gift of God, not a result of works. So that no, no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Guys, this is what we call the gospel. A lot of you guys have heard that before. It simply means this is the good news. This is if you come to Saul often, you're going to hear this week in and week out. This is such a clear, gut-wrenching, heart-cutting depiction of the gospel. I love it so much. The entire world has been waiting for this simple news. Ephesians 2 says this, uh, this human condition, right? It wasn't good. In fact, it was hopeless. It doesn't say that humans were struggling per se. It wasn't saying that apart from God, we were trying really hard, but we were going to make it with a little more elbow grease. It was saying something far more drastic, far more offensive, and far more real. It was saying that each and every one of us, every single person in this world was dead spiritually at one point in their lives. That before a relationship with God, before God intervened, we, me, we were dead in our sins, without hope, without God, and loving it. Not just lost and confused, but enemies of the throne room of heaven, willfully preferring our sin over obedience to God. We see it in the first pages of the Bible. We see it infect humanity all the way through even to this day. We have very strong preferences and our natural bend is not to run to God for those but to run for every single thing else. Humans without God 
and on a path away from paradise. And then the best two words in the Bible. If you got a highlighter or a pen, get ready to use them. Verse four, how does that sentence start? But God. Oh, how cool is that? You who were dead and hopeless. Like what a terrible way to start a chapter, just so pessimistic and bleak and dark. But God, because he is rich in mercy and he loves us like crazy, invaded our space and made a way for us to not be enemies of God anymore, but to be sons and daughters of the king. God's great and undeserved love collides with us in the form of Jesus Christ, his son, who came, put on flesh, was perfect, lived the life that we couldn't live and died the death on a cross that we should have died. He was tortured and hung like a piece of meat on a tree until he was dead so that he could pay for our rebellion. And so now simply by accepting Jesus' sacrifice for you, simply by accepting his perfection being washed over you, you can have this grace or this gift of God that we will be made right with him forever, forever not separated from God in eternal anguish anymore, but eternally in awe of the God who loves us. And a lot of you guys are like, sweet, I have heard that before. I've been here before and I've heard that. I've memorized those verses, I know. But have you ever stopped to ask the question, why? Have you ever read this over and over again in the Word? And you come to church song, you hear a lot, and you've never stopped to ask the question, why in the world would God do that? You're telling me God left his heavenly throne room, the richest king ever, and became a baby in a dirty stable and was poor and suffered and died a gruesome death. Why in the world would God do that? Well, tonight is gonna be about one verse, guys. Look at verse seven with me. We're gonna zoom into there. It's gonna be on the screen. This gospel, this sacrifice of love was so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Let me read that again. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This, this is why. This is why God wants to save you and bring you home, friends. Not because you did something wonderful or that you deserve it or that God is lonely or needs anything from us at all, but simply because he has immeasurable kindness that he wants to pummel you with like a waterfall forever. And so let's do this together, guys. We're gonna measure the immeasurable. Ready for that? We're going to attempt something crazy. We're gonna try right now to measure the immeasurable kindness of God. Let's dip our toes in the ocean of his love and see how far we can get. Sound fun? Let's, uh, let's zoom in and get a glimpse of the most vast treasure that ever existed. Let's attempt to measure the immeasurable riches of his kindness and grace towards us. So let me ask you this. Where... Like, where are these riches? Where is this kindness found? What is the source? As we trace it all the way back to its beginning, where is this? Like, it's a big promise, right? I'm promising you tonight that if you die and you are in Christ, 
you are a Christian, you are a follower of Jesus, and you go to heaven, that you will forever experience a never-ending source of kindness, it would do us good to find out where that kindness is actually coming from. In other words, we need to find out where this kindness is coming from because it is actually the most important foundational part of this series. That if we don't understand this, we will miss everything. This is one of the most foundational, wonderful truths that we will ever speak. And we need to discover it tonight. Um, Let me prove this to you, that this is that important, okay? So let's try and imagine heaven the best we can. Uh, Let's go to Christmas, okay? Let's try and use Christmas as an example. Christmas is fine. I had the flu this year, whatever. Feels like it happens every year. Um, What is the greatest Christmas gift you've ever gotten? What is it? Like, do you remember the moment when you saw the box and you were like, oh my gosh, that's huge. And it could be anything. It could be a big dog, a bike. I don't know. Like it can be anything. And you unwrapped it and it didn't disappoint. There was like a dog or a bike in there. I don't know. And and you're just like the bliss, the joy that just like came out of you was just nuts. Hysteria. This year for Christmas, I got a coffee maker, I got a toaster, and I got a trash can. (laughs) That's what happens when you buy a house, I guess, guys. Real life hits, and I'm over there, my nephews are over here, I'm at Christmas with them, and they're over there, like, soccer jersey with my favorite team. I'm like, oh, that's cool, and I'm over here, toaster oven, huh. Okay, so I look at my, my nephew's turn. Football cards, sweet, let's trade. That's cool, these are worth a lot of money. What rookie cards do you get? My turn, trash can. Okay. It was awesome. My mom's probably gonna watch this sermon and uh, be offended. Great gifts, I'm just using an illustration, mom. Um, let's imagine this is as good as it gets. What I got, take yourself to whatever your moment of great Christmas, this one was obviously great for me. And Imagine on repeat, you just opening the greatest gift you can imagine over and over again. Coffee maker, oh cool, thanks mom. Toaster, oh no way, thanks mom. Trash can, no way. You look under the tree, three more presents. Toaster, coffee maker, trash can, no way. And it just, just the thrill never ends. Well, you don't have to be a rocket scientist, friend, to figure out that that would actually be a very miserable existence very quickly. Even with the greatest gift that you have ever received, maybe you got a car on your sweet 16, I don't care what it is, no matter what it is, no matter what gift you unwrapped or present you received, after a while, it would grow dull, it would grow old, and your thrill would completely fizzle out. You would try and fake the smile as much as you could, but it would grow so unbelievably stale that you would be miserable. Maybe for a bit your stoke tank is full, but honestly, that can't last. And we need to ask the question, what is the gift that we will receive? What will be, I guess, unwrapping in heaven, in the king's country, forever and ever, that is actually worth our eternity? What is it, this gift that God has in mind? If this king has saved us from our sin in order to shower us with these gifts forever, then whatever his gift of kindness looks like is a pretty big deal. It better be good, right? Like, let's just be real. It better be good. And here's the answer. Put that verse on the screen again. So in the coming ages, 
This king might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Did you catch it? Do you see as we trace this back, as we look to the source of God's kindness and this never ending goodness coming from, where does it trace all the way back to? In Christ Jesus. Heaven is not about the what that you will receive, guys. It's all about the who. First and foremost, it is about the person you will meet and it is Christ Jesus. All other gifts are not enough on their own. We, let's be real, we are a tough people to please, aren't we? We are a very tough people to please. There's not enough money, food, games, houses, or toaster ovens that can satisfy us. That's just the bottom line. The king, this kind king, he knows this. He knows you. He knows me. He knows this about us. He made us like this for goodness sake. And he gives us these deep canyons of desire, but he does not make us like that to leave us empty. He knows there's only one gift good enough to keep the cup of your joy satisfied forever. And it's the king himself. It's Jesus our God who knew no beginning and who knows no end will be our reward for eternity. What's most staggering about eternity is not, like I said, just that we get to live forever and not have any more death. What's most, like the jaw, most jaw-dropping sight that you can imagine with it, like when you see the mountains and you see the, the new peaceful world and all the beauty and all the glorified bodies, all the good, shiny things in heaven, those are not what is most jaw-dropping about heaven. It will be the lamb standing as though he will have been slain. It will be the lion ruling his world gently. It will be the risen savior with all of his scars still on his body, stretched out, welcoming you home. It will be the king forever reminding us of his kindness toward us. And why? Why will this be the paramount experience of our eternity? Why is this what we look forward to the most? because we will realize that the source of these immeasurable riches don't actually come from things. They come from a person, a person whose character has never changed eternity past and will never change eternity future. A person who has an eternity of passive storehouses full of kindness and a person who is looking forward to our eternity and does not plan on wasting a drop of that kindness. This is not a nice ruler whose great plan is to make you comfortable and happy and fat. This is a kind king who is brutally murdered and suffered on that cross in your place so that he could lavishly give you his kindness forever. And as you see the cross, as you see him tonight, and you see his blood pouring out for you, you can know that there will always be enough to cover your sin, that no matter how far you have fallen from God, no matter how much brutal sin happened over this break, no matter how you have disqualified yourself from this, no matter how far and deep your lies have gotten, no matter how far you have tried to break this room apart, no matter how you name it, there is enough kindness for you tonight. And there always will be. Jesus, our King, is alive and he's beckoning us home for our joy and for his glory. That we might explore the world and the planets that he's created. Sure, I can't wait for that, guys. It's going to be a lot of fun. But more so, 
that we would be able to explore him and all of his character. Ultimately, we will get to grow in our awe and wonder of this king and who he is forever. And it will never get old. The immeasurable riches of heaven are found nowhere else but in Jesus Christ, the source of endless kindness. And so I wanna close by asking this final question. How does that affect us now? Right, if we talked about the goal of this series being heaven invading our lives now, like not just us looking forward and just like losing all touch with reality here, but having heaven actually invade our affections and our minds and our imaginations, our creativity and our daily walk and our nightly worship here. How is that gonna happen? What does that mean for today? I know what a lot of you are thinking because this is what I think a lot as well. I read this. I hear about this immeasurable goodness that I will never be able to exhaust or understand fully. That I'll just be swimming in this ocean of God's grace forever. And I hear all those fluffy words and pictures of things we can't really fully understand. And I'm not so sure I believe it. It's almost too good to be true. An eternal God whose very nature is loving kindness, living with him forever. That, that sounds fine, sure, but this is actually not the story of my life that I live today, is it? This sounds like a fairy tale. This sounds like the movies that I've been watching that I don't cry at, right? This sounds like the books that I've been reading that I can't put down. This sounds like a fairy tale, but when I look in the rear view mirror of my life, every single day, I just see ash piles and heaps of pain, brokenness, sin, and death. This is not the reality of my life right now. And I wanna tell you tonight that if you're here and you are refusing to believe this vast kindness of God our King, I completely understand. How can so much pain ever become untrue? God is a lot of things to you maybe, but he is not kind, is what your heart genuinely believes. I wanna tell you a story. Um, I wanna introduce you to another guy, right? This is a friend I got to meet over break. His name is Joe Kalunga. Um, some of you have already heard me talk about him before because I can't stop talking about him. His picture's gonna come up on the screen. That's Joe. Um, got to go to Zambia, right? Um, in December, it was a great time. But it was also miserable because it was heartbreaking. But it was life-changing. And, and one of the most life-changing things that happened was meeting and hearing the story of this guy, Joe. Um, Joe's story is incredibly interesting, okay? Um, he has a home, he has a family, uh, he has a wife. He has a son who I believe is seven years old named Axe who has cerebral palsy. Uh, he's getting too heavy for Joe to carry anymore when he has to transport him around and it's one of the most wonderful and loving things I've ever had the privilege of watching a father do. Um, but Joe doesn't usually live at his house. Believe it or not, he actually works a 14 or 15 hour hike away from his home. And so often Joe can't come home. He's at this 
place of work, this school that he teaches at for maybe months on end before he can ever come home. Why does he do that? Why can't he come home? Why does he leave his family to try and provide for them for so long time? It's because the way he gets to his work, guys, is treacherous to say the least. It's not a 14 or 15 hour hike walking down the streets of Iowa City. It is to the most remote group of people in the whole entire nation of Zambia. It is through woods and mountains and rocks up and down hills that our car got stuck on multiple times, by the way, plenty of funny stories there. But the whole entire time we are driving or attempting to drive to this village where Joe works, I could not wrap my mind around that this man wearing his (laughs) flip-flops would walk 14 plus hours through the night to get to this village. And so when he gets there, everything's cool, right? We know schools, it's clean. There's a, a bunch of happy kids and parents and a bunch of other teachers. No, not for Joe. Joe gets to work um, and there's over 300 students and no other teachers. There's a volunteer, sure, but Joe is the only teacher for these over 300 students. And these 300 students come from all these places around to get into this village and there's no running water. Disease is rampant. Sickness is everywhere. (laughs) Right before we got there, Joe sent a picture to one of our pastors where he was out going to the bathroom and had a spitting cobra spit in his eye. Blinded him for a few days. Thought he wasn't gonna be able to see again out of that eye. And I'm like, sweet, that's the place we're going. Great. Sounds like a lot of fun. But this is Joe's life. That's my vacation. And I can still barely wrap my mind around the sacrifices that this man makes. But I got to tell you guys, as we got to be there and see them get clean water for the first time and see them rally around this man who has sacrificed so much for these people, so much for his family, they started to beg that they would know more about his God. That Joe came to teach, yes, but he also came knowing that these poor, miserable, and forgotten people in this village needed this gospel, this good news, and the kindness of this king. And so Joe has committed his life not to abandon these people, but to fight for them. To bring people like us in who can share their story so that they could receive what they need just to survive and to know that guess what? This is not the end of your story. And so we got to bring Joe back out of that village with us over those hilarious, treacherous mountains and rocks and forests. And we got to, we got to get out of there with Joe and we took him to this, this place that you're seeing right here, Kundalila Falls, probably the most beautiful place I've ever been in my life. And it's in Joe's backyard, essentially. He'd never been there. Um, and I'm just looking at this place. And I'm looking at this waterfall and the, the sun shining on it. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And I'm watching Joe look at it. And we all just kind of have this like, this like group think feeling. Like the Lord just spoke. He's like, this is like heaven. This is the clearest picture I have ever gotten of our eternal dwelling place, of the kindness of our King. And I just imagine, guys, that endless supply of water shining and flowing off of those rocks. Being like the Old Testament writer says, God 
catches your bottles in tears. I guarantee God does something like that with our tears. And so I told Joe that I said, it wouldn't it be amazing if God actually had a plan for our tears? If he's so concerned with all of our sadness, he's so near to our brokenness and he's, he's collecting them, wouldn't it be awesome if that's what we got to see in eternity? Waterfalls, beautiful scenery of God taking our brokenness and our pain and turning it into joy. And Joe drops the greatest one-liner that I can't tell if I'm supposed to laugh or cry at, honestly. I don't know what to do, so I don't know what you're supposed to do. But he drops his one-liner and he goes, oh, I would need a bucket for my tears. I guess it's cry tonight, not laugh. Dang it. And I'm looking at this man as I'm swimming in this ice-cold water. I'm looking at this man and I'm thinking, there is the greatest of us. There is a future king of heaven who is gonna have a crown twice the size of mine, I hope, who is leveraging every single thing he has through all the pain and hardship to love others and bring this king's kindness invading into this world. Joe knows that life is actually full of scars and full of pain. You do not have to remind him. Joe knows that this world is full of injustice and is full of tragedy and forgotten people groups who have nothing. But Joe knows that this cannot be the end for him and this cannot be the end for his people. Joe knows that the grace and forgiveness that he has received from the cross of Jesus and the victory of Jesus walking out of that tomb three days later is what dictates the rest of his life. Joe knows that the kindness of God is not actually meant to be wasted, but it's actually meant to lead him to repentance and change from his old ways. And Joe knows that when his work here is done, he will open his eyes on the shores of eternity and all of his pain and grief and hardship will know nothing of those things anymore. Joe knows that the greatest treasures to be found in this life are not more teachers for his school, not more clean water for his village, not all the wealth of an American. Joe knows that each and every morning from here, yes, here, and in Zambia, through eternity, this king's mercies and kindness will be brand new every single day. And so Joe knows that even living today is a gift of grace from the king himself. And so Joe refuses to waste these days, to simply dream his days away with his head in the clouds saying, God, take me now. I'm done with this earth. Joe refuses to escape, but instead is so full of heaven in his bones that he cannot be stopped. You see, knowing your true country, longing for the king's country is not a waste of your time, friends. It's actually the driving force and the fire deep down in your soul to keep you going even now. As Hebrew 12 describes Jesus going to the cross, the most excruciating moment of his life, something worse than any of us will ever experience. How did he do it? Is that he was looking forward to his joy. And friend, I'm pleading with you now that this kindness of the king that you can experience today until the end of eternity, which actually knows no end, is yours for the taking. This king's hands are open wide and he's actually beckoning you home right now. And I can't promise you an easy life because 
God and his word never does that. He actually calls, calls us to follow a crucified and hated savior. I really doubt any of our lives as Jesus followers are gonna get easier. But I can promise you this, that there is a kind king who is welcoming you home into his paradise. And I can promise you that there's a kind king who will not waste a single tear that you have brought into this room. And he intends to blow you away now until forever with the greatest gift he could imagine, himself. So let the kindness of this king turn us away from our sins toward our joy and toward the king's country. Let's pray together. God, You are so kind. What a simple, elementary truth that many of us have heard in this room since we were so small. And yet, God, I am thankful because right now I feel like I am actually for the first time understanding, just like I'm finally for the first time actually dipping my toe into this ocean of kindness that your vast storehouses of goodness, God, I just got yet another taste. And so I pray tonight, God, that whatever tears we have brought in here, whatever pain and sin, God, that we would leave them at your feet, knowing that you have put the sin to death and that you are putting those tears to work to create something wonderful. God, I pray for salvation tonight. I pray that every single person in here would know that they are not here by mistake or on accident, but you have destined them to be here, to hear the simple good news that you love them a lot and that you want to be their father forever and their king. So God, help us to sing with a reckless abandon like we are people who are just waiting to get home, who cannot wait to join with the angels in song, who are worshiping like crazy right now. I can't imagine what it sounds like, God. Would you give us a taste right now what that sounds like? And would you fill our souls with a fire and a love that is appropriate to the gift that you have given us?